Trustees, it is uh, a joy to be together this nice warm morning, right? It's, you're all like, you're crazy. Well, this is my first week back at EQ for the, the new year, and I know I, Anne uh, led you guys all last time, and thank you so much, Anne, for doing that. It was a sweet, sweet blessing to fill in that way, and uh, such a critical lesson to go over, just the importance of biblical repentance and turning away from sin as we pursue a godly life. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to just jump right into our study. Uh, hopefully each of you was able to grab a, an outline on your way in and also a schedule. And just by way of reminder, our uh, next meeting won't be for a month. The, the next time that we would have met is the same week that the many men, I think there's, well, there, there are, there's 10 of us from Gilbert Bible going to Courageous Churchmen, and so as not to uh, create additional burdens as uh, many of the men will be gone for that whole week, uh, we're, we're taking it off. So we won't, we won't be meeting two weeks from now. Our next gathering will be a month from now, and we'll jump back in our normal uh, every other week schedule at that point. Well, why don't we go ahead and do this? Why don't we start off with prayer, and then we will jump in together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given to us. It is a gift that we get to live on your earth and breathe your air, and it is especially a gift that we get to do so under your grace. So, Father, as we join together this morning to look at your word, to be sharpened and grown in our faith, I pray that you would accomplish that in each one of us, that we would grow in wisdom and insight and understanding, Lord, that the principles and disciplines that we look at this morning and the passages of scripture, that they would feed our hearts and our souls in such a way that it would promote uh, further diligence and, and, and further godliness and usefulness for your purposes. Lord, we need you and we are so grateful for you when we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, this morning we're going to talk about shepherding our hearts, and this really falls under discipline one. And as we've been working our way through EQ, we've been keeping the, the disciplines of shepherding our heart, being faithful in our home, being diligent in our immediate context within our home, and then also being faithful in ministry to be faithful to what God calls us to be in the body of Christ before us. And each of these disciplines are, are crucially important for the Christian life. They're part of the outflow of the work of grace that God does in the believer, and they really build upon one another. And so in order to find yourself most useful within your home, and in order to find yourself most useful for the purposes of Christ in your immediate uh, context of your home life environment, and, and in your church life, in your, in your ministry for the Lord, it needs to start and begin and, and really grow out of a diligence for personal heart care, heart shepherding. And as we've talked over the several weeks about heart shepherding, we understand that shepherding your heart is much more than just an event that happens for 30, 30 minutes in the morning. Shepherding your heart is a way of life. It's intentional direction, as Proverbs 4.23 calls the, the person who's following God to keep their heart or watch their heart or guard their heart with all diligence all diligence is far beyond a 30-minute or 45-minute or hour-long quiet time. It's a, it, there's a constancy to this keeping and watching and directing and guarding your heart. And so it is for the believer. There's to be a consistency, a constancy in personal heart care and shepherding. And yet, one of the most instrumental means of this heart shepherding that's to take place constantly in the believer's life is an intentional time with the Lord in his word, directing your heart, directing your mind, renewing your mind, setting your thoughts on God's thoughts, on what God has revealed, drawing near to him in love and worship. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning is really how do we cultivate a life that is honoring to the Lord in our Bible reading. And so shepherding our heart constitutes a far more than a devotion time, and yet diligence in a devotion time is absolutely necessary to have a life that is consistent with shepherding its heart, shepherding your heart. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about 
Bible reading and Bible intake and how to honor the Lord in this. And it's important to, to keep in mind that shepherding your heart is a common phrase that we throw out and use. And shepherding your heart is, is really crucial. It's not just a church gimmick. It's not a fun catchphrase to be cool. If we were trying to be cool or catchy, um, we would just need to close shop because that's not us. That's okay. But, but it's really a crucial reality for every believer. It's, it's what we need to be about. And I can personally attest to the reality with more vigor than ever before that God's word is absolutely crucial. It is essential for the Christian life. And it's more valuable than all the riches of the world. Any security that this world has to offer, any treasure or any possession or any accolade that you might gain can all be stripped away. But God's word, when everything seems to be being swept out from under your feet, when your circumstances in a moment give way, the trajectory you thought your life was going gets upended. When everything circumstantially gives you opportunity to question what is going on in your life, God's word, Christ, is a firm foundation for us. And so what's left to a heart that doesn't know Christ, that doesn't know truth about him, that doesn't know the reality of God's character and what he has accomplished on behalf of those who believe? What happens to the heart that doesn't have God's truth engraved upon it when the storms and the breakers and the challenges and the hardships and sin and effects of sin wash away all the debris in your life? What will be left? Well, for the Christian, truth, God, his faithfulness, his goodness. So what we find is that God's word is absolutely irreplaceable for the day of trouble. God's word is, is absolutely irreplaceable for the seasons of distress. But what I would want each of you to hear and understand this morning is that God's word is so much more useful than that alone. We need God's word for the days of hardship for the breakers of life. But we need God's word for every day in this life to be able to honor him, to please him. He is our daily bread that we should be eager to feast heartily on as we dig into the riches of his truth. And we should pray and be eager to see God use his word day by day to shape and mold and conform us more and more into his likeness, more and more into his image that his word would be our sustenance and our fuel for worship. John 17, 17, Jesus prays for believers, and he says, sanctify them in truth, or make them more and more holy, set them apart in holiness. In truth, your word is truth. God's intention for his people is that we would be made more holy and that God's spirit would bring about this change in his people working in conjunction with his word. There's nothing that should bring each one of us to worship God to a greater degree than a right understanding of his word. It's his truth that should catapult us into lives of worship. It's not an emotional response to a feeling that we gain from circumstances that should catapult us primarily into worship. It's truth. And so how do you bring a worshipful heart before God in his word that you would understand rightly what God has revealed and know God rightly from his word and worship him in light of it? Well, this is a discipline. It is a discipline. We don't just naturally bring ourselves to God's word every day and mine from it all of its riches. It takes discipline. It takes intentionality. It takes self-control. It's a, a sweet labor to come before God humbly and to come submitting ourselves to him under his word. But it also is a discipline where we have to intentionally pursue him. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this, uh, this discipline is something that may come more naturally or more easily than others. Some people love reading. They love learning. They're just wired that way. And so uh, to read and find out information about God, which doesn't necessarily equal heart shepherding, but the practice of reading their Bible or, or studying things about God, digging deep into the text, that might come more naturally for others than than some. Some might find it harder. Uh, for me, I have a very small attention span. And even growing up when I was homeschooled, I, reading and studying was not something that came naturally for me. Frequently, my mom would walk in on me reading textbooks, and I'd be laying on the couch with my 
torso hanging off of it upside down reading and constantly wiggling and moving and just not able to sit still. Even in adulthood, I still find it hard to concentrate. I can, Julie can attest it. No, <laughs> there, there's times where I read and I'm reading something and I get pages down the road in what I'm reading and realize my eyes were looking at the words. I looked at every single word on every single page and I have no clue what I just read about. But the conversation I had with somebody earlier today, I've replayed that conversation 10 times in my head. It just takes discipline to focus. It comes easier for some than for others. I remember years ago, I think it was my second semester in seminary. Well, actually, even before that, years ago, I was um, listening to uh, lectures by John Piper on a series called Men of Whom the World Was Not Worthy. And he goes through various heroes of the faith and uh, gives biographies, kind of lecture, biography lectures on each one. And I was listening to one, I think it was the one on Luther, and he was talking about the importance of young men learning the uh, original languages and preserving knowledge of Hebrew and Greek uh, for pastoral care and leadership within the churches and the importance of men who would devote themselves to those in, in, uh, original languages. And I remember listening to that and just going, well, I wholeheartedly believe with him, but that will never be me. That is, I, I was homeschooled, my mom gave up on teaching me Spanish, she tried, uh, and I never learned a second language, much less Hebrew or Greek. That's, that's, that's right, but not me, not my area of giftedness. Well, several years passed, and uh, my second semester in seminary, I was doing various side jobs to help supplement our income. One of them was doing landscaping, and one day I was riding on a riding lawnmower, mowing, mowing grass, listening, just going through that same series, and just was on Luther, and Piper gets to that rant again, and I'm listening to it. Well, that morning, I had read my Hebrew Bible, and I'm riding on the lawnmower, just bawling. <laughs> God uses us in our weakness, in our weakness, he's made strong. And so the point of that story is, if I can learn Hebrew and Greek, there's hope for anybody to learn anything. <laughs> So don't be, don't be disheartened if, if study, if intentional reading and Bible intake and discipline in that way is hard for you. If that's not a natural inclination, take heart, persevere, work hard to, to, to study and understand. Because listen, God in his wisdom chose to reveal himself to mankind most clearly through his word. And he did that knowing full aware of various individuals' propensities to learn, to study, to read, all of those things. He knows you intimately, and in the midst of that, in the midst of forming you with intimate knowledge about how he created you, that's how he chose to reveal himself most clearly to us. And so we should make effort and, and make it a discipline to come before him in his word. So as we look at the desire and the practice and the discipline of of honoring the Lord in our Bible reading, of honoring the Lord in our Bible intake, what we're going to do is we're going to look at seven principles for shepherding your heart to honor the Lord in your Bible reading. And that should really be the heart desire for each of us, that our Bible reading ultimately isn't about us, but it's about honoring the Lord, that, that he would be glorified, that he would be pleased and, and, and exalted as a result of our diligence in this area. We do not want to merely be content with the religious act right? We're not just going after checking boxes, although box checking might be helpful, but that's not the end. The end is to honor the Lord. And so what are some principles that aid us in honoring the Lord in our Bible reading? For, for, well, first and foremost is really obvious, just in light of the desire to honor him, and that's this, that above all in our Bible reading, we need to pursue God's glory. Pursue God's glory. That's your first blank in your outline. Pursue God's glory. And as I said, this seems obvious, but it's actually very significant. If you truly want to honor the Lord in your Bible reading each day as you come before him, start with a heart disposition that says, this morning, my Bible reading is about you, God. It's about your glory. And this is really to be the core of the Christian life, that everything would be about the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's 1 Corinthians 10.31. And so reading your Bible is first about God's glory. It, it can't be first and foremost about you. 
It can't be first and foremost about you getting something out of it in order for it to be worthwhile. You will get something out of God's word, but what each one of us must cultivate is a pursuit of God's glory as what we desire to see first and foremost. We don't read our Bibles to be good Christians. We don't read our Bibles so we can find a golden nugget to stay with us for the day. We don't read our Bibles so that we have something clever to say at fellowship group. We don't, we don't read our Bibles because, well, it seems to be what everybody else in the church is doing, and I don't want to be different or looked down upon within the church. No, we, we read our Bibles worshipfully, wanting to glorify God by drawing near to our great God in his word. Go ahead and turn to Philippians 1. Philippians 1, we're going to look at just briefly at verses 9, 10, and 11. We read our Bibles wanting to grow in knowledge and understanding about our great God as a means of glorifying him. And this is actually the call for believers. We are, we are to be about this. Look at verse 9 of chapter 1 of Philippians. Paul says, And this I pray, what does he pray? That your love may abound still more and more. How does that love abound more and more? Well, it does so in the realm of real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. And what is that all for? What is the purpose behind all of what Paul just prays for? It's to the glory and praise of God. And so what Paul is saying is that we must cultivate a desire to grow in our knowledge and discernment so that we can approve or discover or distinguish what is excellent. Why? So that we grow in holiness, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. And why? Why all of that? To the glory and praise of God. And that is, that is the ultimate end of the Christian. And that must be the ultimate end of our Bible reading. Why we want to grow in knowledge and discernment of God to the praise of his glory. And this changes Bible reading. This, this changes reading your Bible from where your feelings are the dictator of the fruitfulness of your time in God's word to, did I worship God? Did, did I glorify God? Did I humbly submit myself to him? And that's incredibly significant. Sometimes we can put a stamp of our own approval on how fruitful our time was by how we emotionally feel as a result. God's word was really rich today. I got a lot out of it. Eh, it was a little dry this morning. I, I didn't really get much out of my reading. As if how you felt or how your assessment of what God revealed in that section is the dictator of whether it was a good time or a bad time. No, did, did you yield to God? Did you entrust yourself to him? Did you entrust yourself to him when what you were reading was incre uh, incredibly immediately applicable to circumstances in your life? And did you entrust yourself to him and believe in him? And, and were you faithful when what you were reading seemed to have no immediate bearing in your circumstances of life? Did you simply just entrust yourself to God? That's what we're called to. Did you just want to get to know him, understand him, learn more about him? If you were interacting with a spouse and you spent time talking with them, would you determine whether or not that was a fruitful discussion based off of how much you really appreciated what they had to say? Or is it enough just to spend time? just to get to know them, to learn about them, to understand their thinking. Even if you struggled with what was being said in the moment or didn't fully understand. Reading our Bibles is to first and foremost be about God's glory. We must pursue God's glory in our Bible reading. Now, what do we do when we don't feel like wanting to glorify God in our Bible reading? If the goal is to honor the Lord in our Bible reading, and one of the the particular distinctives or helps 
that aid us in honoring the Lord is coming with a heart that wants to glorify him first and foremost. What do we do when we don't feel that way, when we don't have a desire to actually glorify God? Well, we pray. And in faithful discipline, we fight what we feel with what we know, and we bring our hearts to God's word so that we would grow in real knowledge so that we would increase in discernment, so that we would be able to distinguish what is excellent, which is the glory of God. You see, there, there can be a tendency at times, maybe you've heard that. I, I think I've actually said this at times in the past, where I just don't want to bring a legalistic heart to God's word, and I'm just not feeling it this morning. God's word is so holy, and, and he's so good. I, I just don't want to bring my sinful heart to that. I need to get my heart in a better place, and then I'll be faithful in my Bible reading. That is absolute ignorance, because we're actually depriving ourselves from God's means of conforming our heart where it needs to go. It's an act of arrogance to say, I need to do something apart from God to get my heart to a place where it will be useful for God. Actually, what I need to do is I need to submit and obey in faith and trust God to work in my heart and work in my emotions through his word as I yield to him and trust him. And so one of the most counterproductive things that we could do would be to wait to read our Bibles until our heart is in a right place. And yet, listen, if that's been you before, I can relate. That's been me before. And, and oftentimes, that thinking is actually uh, maybe veiled foolishness rooted in a, a sincere love for God that wants to please him and honor him. I don't want to offend him, and I know the wickedness of my heart, and I don't want to bring that against his word. Listen, that's, that's sweet. It's misguided, but it's sweet. And so instead of not wanting to offend a holy God through bringing a wicked heart to his word, bring your struggling heart to his word submissively and entrust yourself to him in that moment. God, my heart is not where I know it should be right now. The last thing I want to do is read my Bible. The last thing I want to do is shepherd my heart, but I'm going to deny myself and I'm going to trust you and I'm going to come to your word anyway. Would you help me? Would you use your word as a means of transforming my sinfulness against you? And God has glorified that. That actually accomplishes the very thing that in that moment you're wrestling towards. And so seek to honor the Lord in your Bible reading by humbly submitting yourself to God, thinking less of ourselves and concerning ourselves more with God. And so we bring our hearts to God's word when we feel like it, and we bring our, God, our hearts to God's word when we don't feel like it. And that's why it's a discipline. So the first distinctive in shepherding your heart is to honor God in your Bible reading by pursuing God's glory. Next, number two, depend on God as your greatest aid. That's your next blank in your outline. Depend on God as your greatest aid. Our greatest aid in our Bible reading is God himself. And so it's only appropriate to recognize as much and to pray, to spend time praying in our Bible reading. Ask God for help in your Bible reading to understand his meaning. And for clarity, when we talk about God being the greatest aid in our Bible reading and honoring him in our reading, this isn't asking God for some sort of hidden meaning that he would reveal, some super special secret insight that he needs to supernaturally have jump off the pages of scripture. Rather, what we're asking is that God would give you eyes, give us eyes to see what God's purpose was for writing what he did. What was he intending to reveal? What did he reveal? And if you're a believer, you can have confidence today to be able to read your Bible, to grow closer to God, to honor him, to please him, to grow in your faith, and to rest in his word. And so depend on God as your greatest aid to, to even honor God in your Bible reading. This looks like prayerfully coming to the Lord with humility and dependence upon him. Cultivating a humble, dependent disposition before God as you worshipfully come before him in his word. Prior to salvation, you could read God's word, but the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. 
1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. That's 1 Corinthians 2.14. Now, if you're a believer, you have eyes to see things about God, to come before him in his word, and to have true understanding and insight to welcome the truth into your life, to no longer suppress that truth in unrighteousness. You no longer are seeking to, to, to push down what God has clearly revealed. You want, you want to reveal it. You want it to indict you. You want it exposed into your life. And so what we find is that this, this dependence upon God is not a dependence upon him to supernaturally work in his word to drop the scales of the actual meaning away from your Bible so that it now becomes clear, but it's actually praying that he would do the work in you to remove the scales off of your eyes so that you could see what he has clearly revealed. The supernatural working of the Holy Spirit of God to bring to light his truth on a believer's life is not God working in his word because something is hidden in it. It's God working in his people because something is wrong in us. We don't naturally want to learn about God. But by the Spirit of God, we have eyes to see what God has clearly revealed. And so we come to the Lord in prayer. We seek his help to see what we must about him in his word and that he would create in us a, a humble disposition, a, a worshipful disposition. That we would accept and believe what he has had to say about the nature of sin and the danger that lies within. That, that we would gird ourselves with the reality of the saving nature of God who provided a way of salvation. And that he's provided a freedom from sin's bondage and the penalty of sin through his son Jesus. That we would be able to observe God's heart and desire for righteousness and holiness. And that how he longs for that in his people. And that we would fill our heart and our minds to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. This comes through prayer and dependence upon the Lord. Number three. Next employ self-control. We pursue God's glory. We depend on God as our greatest aid. And then we also need to actually employ self-control in your reading practices, in our reading practices. Employ self-control. You come desiring to see God glorified. You come dependent upon God's help. And you come actually wanting yourself to be restrained, to be controlled, self-controlled. God is your greatest aid, and in this you must depend upon him as you exhibit self-control in your, in your Bible reading. Scripture is, as we know, God-breathed. The Spirit inspired the Bible, yet God does not short-circuit the Scripture by somehow whispering in our ear what they mean. No, we, we pray for his help. We do not pray that he'll spare us the hard work of rigorous reading and study and meditation. What we pray is that he would make us diligent to work hard and humble enough to welcome the truth into our lives. The work of the Holy Spirit in helping us grasp the meaning of Scripture is not to make study unnecessary, but rather to make us unconditionally open to receive and submit to what our study reveals instead of twisting the text to justify our unwillingness to accept it. I remember something like 15 years ago, there was a, a big push of spirit-led everything. Everything was spirit-led. And that was especially true in the worship community. And as a music leader for Grace Bible Church at the time, I, I felt this, this external pressure that we need to have spirit-led worship. And what that typically meant was impromptu changes. <laughs> spirit-led worship was you know, repeat that chorus one more time. Just the voices. That was really, you know, if, if it was a just the voices kind of moment, that was really spiritual worship. Well, I remember having a conversation with Scott Maxwell, um, and he's talking to me, and he goes, so if that's how the Holy Spirit works, is he not active in my sermon preparation, only in my sermon delivery? And I was like, oh, He's like, I hope, that, I hope that the Spirit's even more involved in my preparation than, than simply only at the moment. 
It'd be great if he's involved there. He needs to be. But, but to think that, you know, the Spirit of God works in some supernatural way that just makes this kind of willy-nilly approach to things when the Spirit is really involved, as opposed to going, no, the, the Spirit, you know, the one that produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, is intimately involved in our lives when we are self-controlled in how we read our Bible. Not just rushing to conclusions and applications and interpretations aside from actual diligent labors to be confident that we've, we've mined God's word for what he actually said. We're not led by a, a spiritual impression but by a strong conviction based off of what God has actually revealed. And so we study and we employ self-control to learn. Instead of twisting the text to justify our, our unwillingness to accept it, we submit ourselves to God's word. That's a working of the Holy Spirit, that we would read something, it would indict us, it would confront us, and we would submit and change. That's what we want, and that takes self-control. And the self-control in our Bible reading, I put into three categories that kind of summarize where we should desire to see this self-control most expressed. And I'm sure we could probably come up with a list of 20 other ways that we would benefit from having self-control in our Bible reading. But we'll cover three this morning. And that's number, number one, or letter A, hold fast to the normal use of words and language. This might seem obvious, but it's actually incredibly informative and instrumental in our Bible reading practices, that we would hold fast to the normal use of words and language. Well, what does this look like? Expect a single clear meaning from God's word. A single clear meaning from God's word. This is how language works. And we know that communication is a gift from God to, to clearly communicate one meaning at a time, sentence by sentence. We communicate in order to be understood. And so it is with God. He communicated in Scripture in order to be understood. Isaiah 45, verses 18 and 19. <coughs> Isaiah 45, verses 18 and 19. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in some dark land. I, the Lord, speak righteousness, declaring things that are right, that are upright. The Lord expected the offspring of Jacob to understand him because his meaning in his words were not secret. They weren't unfindable. He spoke to be understood. God communicated to be understood. This doesn't mean God has spoken regarding everything, right? We know from Deuteronomy 20, 20, 29, 29, that the secret things belong to the Lord. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. What that doesn't mean is that scripture consists of the secret things. And that's what some will want to do when they get to a passage that's difficult or a theology that they're undecided on. They say, well, we can just never know about this. The secret things belong to the Lord. I know God's word says this in Revelation, but it's just so confusing. The secret things belong to the Lord. I've heard that. That's not what Deuteronomy is talking about. That's not what God is talking about in Deuteronomy, that what he's revealed, he's kept hidden. No, he just hasn't revealed everything at this point in Scripture. But what he has revealed in Scripture, he revealed to be understood and to be known, even if it's hard, even if it takes time, even if it takes work, even if you go, I have spent my life studying this, and this is the best that I can tell, but I'm going to hold it with a, an open hand. And anybody that wants to look at Scripture and discuss this more, I'd love to, I'd love to have further insight from God's Word. I can, I can be instructed on this. I can look and change if God's Word says something differently. But to abandon God's Word because, well, we just can't understand it. That isn't to be the practice. Work, labor, and hold fast to the normal use of words in your understanding of God's word. Don't look for some special secret meaning or insight. I know God said this, but what he really meant was this. Or, I know it clearly says that, but what God is really speaking to me right now in his word is this. Hold fast to the normal use of words and language. Use self-control 
to not run away with God's word to impose your own impressions or meanings on it. Be self-controlled. Scott Maxwell has said it this way. If a husband comes home from work and finds a note on the counter letting him know that the hallway light is out, he doesn't conclude from that spiritual darkness is welling up in the house. He reads the note normally and puts a new light bulb in the hallway. Maybe six months later, but eventually it'll get done, right? Just, I'll do it this weekend. Well, we're to read our Bibles this way. We don't read a passage and say, well, I know it says this, but what it really means is this, or how God spoke to me is this way. We have to be self-controlled. We let God speak what he spoke. We expect to discover one coherent message from one passage to another, and this takes patience and and self-control. So we read our Bibles this way. And this practice of, of careful holding fast to the normal use of words and language, it's, it's known as this, a literal grammatical hermeneutical method, or historical rather, literal grammatical historical. And what that is, is that's, that's the hermeneutic we use. And hermeneutic is just a, a big fancy theological term to describe the, the way that we read or the, the practices or rules that you implement and how you read, your hermeneutic. It's, it's the, the manner in which I read or understand something. And the hermeneutic that we hold to is a literal, grammatical, historical method of interpretation. You take into account the actual literal meaning of the words within the grammatical way language works, laboring to understand the history or the context of where this passage sits and to whom the original author and audience were. This takes works. And you may come across metaphors at times. And this is normal to language. It's not hidden meaning to use a metaphor. It's actually obvious clarifying practices to use metaphorical language. So when Jesus says, I am the door in John 10, 7 through 10, we don't conclude that Jesus is made of wood and swings on a hinge. And I've actually used or heard that used as an argument against a literal grammatical historical method well then you just have to read everything this way well that's not what we're talking about at all metaphors work and and they're used and they're obvious and they're explained so you read it you you conclude what what the imagery is intended to communicate jesus is the entrance or the gateway into eternal life and even with metaphors, it's good to begin thinking through, well, what, what is a door? What is the purpose of a door? What was Jesus teaching? What was he trying to communicate by suggesting this resemblance of himself to a door, this imagery that he's a door? Also, different categories of writing, they don't threaten this practice as well. We know that historical books are written in a different style or context than poetical liter- literature or prophetic Epistle, uh, prophetic literature or epistles. And so you employ self-control by holding fast to the normal use of words and languages. Next, you actively equip yourself to understand God's word. That's letter B, equip. Actively equip yourself to understand God's word. And recognize this is a process. You, you can't equip yourself all at once. You can't say, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get in shape, and I'm going to hike the Grand Canyon. You haven't done any cardio work for five years. You run on a treadmill for 10 minutes the day before, and then you say, okay, now I'm ready. No, it it takes time, diligence, practice, building up endurance. Well, as you actively equip yourself to understand God's word, this isn't go to one one one-hour class, and now I'm an expert on how to faithfully and diligently work in understanding God's word. It takes time, it takes patience, but be diligent to grow, actively pursue growth in your understanding of language. Work to understand the context of passages and books. Read your Bible, reread your Bible, read passages over and over again. <laughs> be diligent in your Bible reading practices. Listen, if your Bible reading, if the entirety of your Bible reading is audio in the car. You're missing out. Set aside intentional time to look deeply at God's word. 
What I don't mean by that is don't listen to the Bible in your car. That's a great way to use that time. You shouldn't stop doing that if you do that. And if you don't do that, you might want to consider doing it. It's absolutely beneficial. But don't say, I listened to the Bible in the car today. I'm good. I did my Bible intake is good. And let that become the normal practice of your life. Be diligent. Work hard. Be, Be focused on God's word. Be proactive to prepare a space and a time when you can intentionally bring God's word to bear on your heart and where you can work hard to understand what God has revealed. If you're listening or just breezing through scripture and you have no idea when Ezekiel was written or to whom he is speaking or or whom it was concerning, you'll have a lot of difficulty understanding. And listen, God will still use his word in sweet ways. I'm confident of that. He'll still be faithful, and yet you'll miss out on so much that you could understand. And yet, simply knowing that it was written around 570 to 595 BC uh, to Jews who are captive in Babylon, and it's concerning the condemnation upon Judah's faithless leaders and condemnation upon those who have been opposing God's people, and, and yet there's consolation for the people of Israel regarding a future hope that they possess— It'll make significant difference in your Bible reading as you come to God and his word. But how will you know that? Well, you've got to do some work. Be at things like this. Study things on your own. Fellowship group studies. All sorts of different ways to grow in your knowledge. And listen, we're talking about working hard or being diligent to grow in your understanding. And all of you women are here on a Saturday morning at 7 a.m., when it's freezing cold outside, praise God for his grace in your life. You are working hard to grow in your faith. You're making self-controlled sacrifices to grow. That's God's grace at work in you. And so actively equip yourself to understand God's word. And then lastly, understand the relationship under employ self-control in your reading practices. The last blank is understand the relationship between interpretation and application and implication. So the difference between interpretation and then you could put in maybe a separate category from interpretation, application, and implication. Application and implication are are very closely related. They overlap in some ways. There's some nuanced differences, but they're kind of in the same category. Interpretation is in a separate category than implication or application. And there's an important relationship between interpretation of a text and the application or implication of that text on a reader's life. (coughs) Interpretation and application complement one another. They can't necessarily replace one another. Interpretation and application, they complement each other, but they can't replace one another. The application of a text or the implications on your life must, they are intended to flow out of the right interpretation. So your application or implications, they spring out of the right interpretation. Therefore, if your interpretation is off, you are going to be susceptible to a potentially flawed application or implication. It's not always that way. There's times where we have the wrong interpretation, and you know what? We still make the same application that we might have made with the right interpretation. Um, But there's less safety for us. That's more of a convenient grace coincidence than, than a practice to be embraced. We want to get the right interpretation. Now, what is interpretation? It's this, understanding the truth. So what is interpretation? It's understanding the truth in the passage within the intention of the author. And that's both big author and little a author. Understanding the truth in the passage within the intention of the author. Interpretation finds the meaning the author intended in his historical situation. Implication is how the, text, how the text implicates you or how does your thinking need to change 
the implications of the text on your life? How does your thinking need to change? Maybe your pursuits, maybe your lack of pursuits, maybe your disposition, maybe your knowledge. The text implicates you. There's implications of the text on your life. Application is the various ways that one may need to live or think differently in light of that meaning in the passage. And there you can see a little bit of the overlap on an implication or an application. Application is the various ways that one may need to live or think in light of that meaning in the passage. Okay, that was a lot with definitions. Do I, would it be helpful if I repeated anything from that? Okay, don't tell the men, but you guys are a lot better at taking notes. I just, it's not a surprise. The men are like, taking notes, huh? No, just joking. Just joking. Okay, so for example, <laughs> if a wife reads Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And she quickly rushes to the conclusion and says, the meaning of the text is that I must regard my husband more important than myself. She's conflated how she believes her life must change with what Paul actually means. And while that's not a bad conclusion to walk away with, it's a bad conclusion to say is the meaning of the text. Why? Because if that's the meaning of the text, that, that based off of do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. If the meaning is that a wife should love her husband more sacrificially, what is the meaning for a husband? That he should love himself more sacrificially? Well, now you get into, well, no, 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 the meaning isn't that for the husband. Well, wait, so what is the meaning? Well, the meaning is that a believer in Jesus Christ is to have a Christ-like disposition of consideration for others as more important than themselves. That's the meaning of the text. The way that implicates the, the wife reading that is, oh, the implications are, I need to think differently about how I navigate my relationship with my husband. I need to think more like Christ. The application might be, I'm going to do his laundry and put it away. Or I'm going to proactively take some things around the house off his plate because I know it's been a really busy work week for him and he's just going to want to hang out with the kids when he gets home, not have to fix the light bulb that I left a note for him that he said he'd do and he never got to. You know, so, something like that. So that's where the application flows out of the meaning. But we have to be self-controlled to not jump to the meaning is this application that I immediately am encouraged by. And what that does is that's actually safety for us in our understanding of God's word that we don't carelessly rush to an application that's outside and call it God's word and God's instruction that's outside of what God actually said. This is really huge for guarding the church against uh, disunity through the elevation of preferences and practices as if they're convictions. So if you read something and you say, this text means I have to go to church every Sunday because don't forsake the, the gathering of the, of the body. And, and so what that means is I have to be at church every Sunday. Well, that's not what that says. It's saying don't forsake, don't abandon a regular consistency in joining together as the body of Christ. If you make that about being gone once, and now what are you going to do? You're going to look with your nose up to anybody who misses church for any reason one time. Or you're going to feel wrongly guilty if circumstances force you to not be there one time. No, what is the meaning? Okay, how does that practice? Oh, I need to make this, the corporate gathering a treasured, untouchable as much as possible. I, I don't want to be lightly knocked off path in the practice of the corporate gathering. It, it, it's got to take a lot for us to not meet because it's important to God for, for the sake of his people. And again, this takes self-control to do this. It takes practice and development. Now, two ways to respond. Oh, okay, I need to work hard to be diligent. I need to grow in this. I need to employ self-control. Or here's the other response. 
I'm horrible at that. Why would I ever read my Bible? I might mess it up. Listen, read your Bible. Mess it up a few times and learn. Be humble enough to learn and be instructed and grow and develop. All of us are in the same boat. None of us has this wired. I, my, 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 so it was before Gilbert Bible, so it was actually a small group at the time. You've heard me tell the story. I'm learning Greek. This is the right interpretation of the passage. Next week, uh, this was the exception. I was totally wrong. We're the body of Christ. We'll be patient with one another. We'll help each other. We sharpen each other. So don't look at this and, and let it become for you this built-up obstacle that's overwhelming that pushes you away from what the actual call is for each of us to embrace humbly work at it, grow, pursue increasing understanding of how to navigate God's word, work together. Hey, I read this and this is my conclusion. Is that an interpretation or is that an application? And help each other. Talk through that. Work through that together. What sweet conversations to have. Okay, we're going to keep moving. I'm going to run out of time. Number four, long to be purified by God's word. Long to to be purified by God's word. Just a few weeks ago, I taught on Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. And if you didn't have a chance to, to listen to it, I encourage you to go back, go to the website or go to our YouTube channel and, and listen to it. And it'll help fill in some of the gaps of, of, of this point that we're, we're not going to dive too deep into this. We'll just work through it quickly. But it, it, it honors the Lord to be conformed more and more into Christ's likeness as a result of his word. And this should be the desire of us. Lord, make me more holy. Purify me. Have your word intersect with my life in a way that I, I grow in holiness. That I would walk in a manner worthy of the calling. That, that I would glorify you not only in this moment, but in, in my whole life. And use your word to have a purifying effect on my life. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says in verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? Well, by keeping it according to his word. A chief means, a significant means of God purifying his people is his use of his word in our lives. And in that passage, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, there's seven directives for how we come to God's word that it would have a purifying effect on our on our life. The first one is seek God with all your heart. And we see that in verse 10, with all my heart, I have sought you. And so if we desire to have our lives purified by God's word, we need to actually seek God in his word. We come to the word of God to meet with the God of the word. It's not just coming to God's word as an end of itself, but we want to look through God's word to see the God of the word, to understand him, to know him, to draw near to him. Next, treasure God's instruction in your heart. That's letter B, treasure God's instruction in your heart. And this, in this verse, it's not so much a, a valuation. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. This treasuring is more of a guarding or keeping as a valuable resource. It's a treasuring, not in, oh, I just love it so much. It's a treasuring in, uh, don't touch my secret stash of chocolate. <laughs> I love it so much but I'm treasuring it by keeping it hidden in the pantry so the kids don't get to it. That's the kind of treasuring that's happening here. And the reason is that I may not sin against you. Help me to guard and keep safe as a valuable instrument in my heart, your word, so that it would guard me and keep me from sinning against you. Letter C, long for instruction from God. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Come with a humble heart want to learn. Have you ever been in an environment where you ask a question and you know in your heart, you are not asking a question to learn. You're asking a question to oppose, <laughs> to counter, to push against, to chafe against whatever is before you. That should never be our heart with God's word. We should want to learn. We should want to be instructed by God's word. God, teach me. I need your wisdom. I know where my own wisdom goes, and it is not good. I need your wisdom. Teach me. Next, proclaim God's instruction to others. Verse 13, with, all, or with my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. 
God's word is best kept by someone who is also proclaiming to teach others. If you teach and instruct others, there's going to be both an accountability and a comprehension that exceeds if you've simply learned something. If somebody has taught something to you, I can't tell you how many times uh, this happened where I was taught something. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I got it. And then somebody would say, okay, repeat it back to me. I don't got it. (laughs) No, try again. There's an internalization, an understanding, and it's also an expression of a, of a love or excitement or enthusiasm or commitment when we also share with others. Letter E, rejoice in God's instruction. And this is the, this is the treasuring as if it was, is valuable that I said was to come. I have rejoiced in all of your testimonies as much as in all the riches. And there the psalmist is highlighting how valuable, how precious God's word is, that he rejoices in it more than all the treasures. Think about that. Think about that. If you walked out of here today and got a phone call, you won the lottery. I didn't buy a ticket. No, that's okay. You won it. Billion dollar jackpot. Would your... Would your enthusiasm be greater than your enthusiasm for how you feel about God's word? Probably. Probably for each one of us, unfortunately, to our shame. We should treasure God's word more than all the riches. That aids us in keeping our way pure. And then letter F, meditate on God's instruction. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. We keep God's word on our mind. And this this is what I was talking about at the beginning of this morning, where this, this intentional bringing your heart to God's word isn't the entirety, but it's crucial. Why? So that it would stay with you. So that as you come across different truths about God's character, or his instruction for his people, it comes to mind. When you're tempted to lash out at your children or you're tempted to speak harshly at a coworker or to be unkind to someone in your path, you go, oh, Let no unwholesome talk come from your mouth, but only what is edifying and gives grace to the hearers. I'm going to refrain from this harsh word, this unloving word, because it doesn't give grace. Or you sin, you recall it to mind, and you go back and you seek forgiveness. Child, friend, coworker, husband, whomever, would you forgive me? My words did not give grace in that moment. And that was a reflection of my heart of anger towards you. Would you please forgive me? And put the light bulb in. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) Lastly, joyfully retain God's instruction. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. And there you see that the delighting is the joyfulness and the not forgetting your word is the retention. Joyfully retain God's instruction. That's letter G. I shall not forget your word. God's word cannot just come and go in our life as as it just impulsively does. There must be an intentional remembrance and delighting upon that God's word would be written on the tablet of our hearts that we would remember and know and memorize and retain his truth. We must long for God's purifying effect of his word to be present in our lives. And then number five, humbly entrust yourself to God's wisdom humbly and trust yourself to God's wisdom. Are we still together on the outline? We've got blanks this week and there's been a lot of them. Everybody doing good? Okay, awesome. Humbly and trust yourself to God's wisdom. We must joyfully submit ourselves to God's wisdom. God gets to decide what is right. God gets to decide what is good and God gets to decide what is bad. And so we entrust ourselves to him by submitting ourselves to his word. Our emotions are not to rule over our Bible reading. Rather, our Bible reading is to guide our emotions. And so statements like, I just can't believe God would want this for me. Or I I can't believe in a God who would fill in the blank. That can't be on our lips. We entrust ourselves to God and his wisdom when we understand and it makes sense to us. And we especially entrust ourselves to God when it doesn't make sense. He's faithful, he's wise, he's good. We can't bring a predetermined expectation of what God must say to various situations. And this is especially difficult when we've experienced extremely hard situations. This isn't an easy practice to humbly submit yourself to God's wisdom. 
I know God says, love your enemies, but you don't know what they did to me. They did this. Do I even have to love them now? Are you going to love somebody that would do this to you? I get it. It's hard. It's not easy. And yet what's impossible for man is possible with God. And we submit and we trust and we obey. Six, trustingly resign yourself to the sufficiency of God's word. Trustingly resign yourself to the sufficiency of God's word. We're not going to turn there, but 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequately equipped, ready for every good deed. And 2 Peter 1.3. So that's 2 Timothy 3.16. And 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We can have a confidence in the sufficiency of scripture to equip us and give us what we need to honor God in every situation. Every disappointment, every hardship, every trial, every difficulty, every opposition. We can please God with what he's given to us. We don't need to go pursue worldly strategies for repenting of sin or attaining peace or finding joy or navigating trials or exhibiting self-control. We can turn to God's word with confidence, and trustingly resign ourselves to the sufficiency of God's word. Trustingly resign yourself to the sufficiency of God's word. God has told us that his word is useful and that he's given us all things through the true knowledge of him to honor him. There's no circumstance in this life where we need something outside of God to be able to honor God. And then lastly, Obediently embrace God's care for you through the church. Through the church. God's design is for his people to be in a local assembly joined firmly together with other believers. Now, how does this, how does this impact us honoring the Lord in our personal Bible reading? Well, it's actually extremely significant because God has designed the Christian life where there are pastors, elders who guard the flock, they watch over the doctrine of the church, they equip the saints for the work of ministry. And the saints within the body of Christ build one another up and minister to one another. And there's actually safety for each part of the body of Christ. There's safety for each one of you in God's design within the church. Well, how is that safety expressed in honoring the Lord in our Bible reading. Well, listen, if you read your Bible and you find yourself embracing theology or doctrine, beliefs that nobody around you holds to, that is a grace to you to slow down, test your thinking, guard your thoughts. If you take a position, whether theologically or practically, just in practice, that nobody else in your local church holds to, especially none of your elders or pastors, that should be a, an occasion for you to slow down. Make sure that you're listening to others well. Make sure that you're listening to others as well as you're listening to yourself in those times. You might, this might happen, where you actually cannot argue with God's word and you say, I know everybody else is in a different spot, but I, God's word says this. I can't, I just can't with a clear conscience change. You might get there. Most of the time, that sometimes happens. Most of the time, that is actually not the case. And, and you're buoyed from false, false theology, false doctrine, false gospels through the protection of the local church. And God uses us this way one in another's life. And so there might be a time where you have to put your, your foot down Anchor in the sand and say, I, I just can't budge. Like, I can't. This is what God's word says. Let yourself get there very, very, very slowly with lots of intentional listening if it's, if it's just a spot where nobody else is. There's a protection for us in this to obediently embrace God's care for you through the local church, to guard the doctrine, to guard the theology of the church 
through our care for one another. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time this morning. Thank you for your word. It is so precious, not because it's just words on a page, but because they're your words. God-breathed, divinely inspired and given to us so that we might know you. Lord, give us a, a deep passion and a, a rigorous consistency and, and a zeal to draw near to you in your word, that our lives would be transformed by it, that we would have a sweet relationship and sweet fellowship with you as we worshipfully and humbly yield to you and what you have revealed about yourself. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.